Hi ho ho, it's me, Christopher Miller, back at it again with a new episode of the Boy Time Podcast, and as always, I'm joined by Babby and Paul. And one of those is me. Uh, 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 I'll never tell. Yeah. I'll never ever tell you. Ever. We have a slam dunk episode uh, planned. We don't have a lot of news. We have one thing to talk about. Um, everything else has been uh, not interesting. Something I didn't write down that I guess is important is that uh, I believe the Directors Guild and SAG-AFTRA, AFRA? They I both, Afra, yeah. Afra, they signed off on both authorizing strikes. So not only not is there going to be a writer's strike, there's going to be a director's strike and an actor's strike. Let's go. So I think that's pretty cool. We'll see. Hopefully that means that something's actually going to happen because, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty hard to replace good directors. You'll be able to find some bad ones out there. The, uh, the, yeah. The, the date movie guys probably need some work, so they'd probably work through a strike. Um, but you know all the good actors, too. Like, the, those those mm-hmm. ones that are going to be pulling in those blockbuster numbers, they're not going to be working because they can afford not to. So All strike funds pay for people. Well, yeah. But That's why strikes can happen. Yeah. Yes. Especially true for these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially actors. Because yes. uh, those are the ones that get the big bucks. They could strike for life and they'd be fine. Uh, well, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis is actually doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's no retirement anymore. Just <laughs> individual striking. <laughs> yeah. I'm not working. Not because I'm... Tarantino's just going on a long strike. That's right. <laughs> I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if that's going to delay the, the movie critic. I guess we'll Am have I? to see. I, I've been seeing, like, so much stuff is getting delayed. Mm-hmm. Like, Last of Us 2, the show, got is getting delayed. And I think the, the, the filming of The Mandalorian is getting delayed, which I thought was weird because I thought Disney was forcing everybody to work through the strike but yeah i found it really funny that andor was filming like the show that was praised for being like (laughs) anti-establishment yeah i mean that show's already written so like they can shoot it but i don't know if tony gilroy is gonna be on set no yeah (laughs) no 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 um no but that is a good show I don't know uh, what's going on with uh, the behind-the-scenes politics there. Um, but, yeah. So, But that, that was not what I was going to talk. We were going to talk about. Something interesting having to do with marketing and something that I think we are always a big proponent of is uh, keeping the hype window very short. Announce something and then have it come out in like six months and everybody is going to be so incredibly hyped for that it's not even going to be real like uh who even is talking about elder scrolls 6 they announced that like five years ago and i forgot that was a thing yeah no one is talking about it um and that's not what you want to do with marketing like yeah you probably could have just even 
done an interview and would have gotten the same amount of, uh, like journalists putting that in headlines and stuff as you would putting that in your big E3 presentation. Uh, it, it's not good and it kind of kills the, the hype train. So you got to keep it short. And I think what's even better, even though this movie was not very good, what Netflix did with Cloverfield Paradox is probably the best marketing slash release thing I've ever seen. And it's kind of a shame that more studios don't do this and that they had a trailer for it in the Super Bowl. And then at the end of the trailer, it said it comes out right after the Super Bowl is over. So like the hype window was like two hours. Nobody even knew that a new Cloverfield movie was coming out and they announced it and released it in the same day. See, that's how you drum up some, uh, that's how you drum up pub publicity. Cause everybody's like, Oh, nobody's ever done that before. That's awesome. And then everybody watched the movie and it wasn't very good, but you know, they tried, you know, um, but uh, studio Ghibli, uh, you know, they're, they are making the last Miyazaki movie. I, I put a question mark on that because I think he's retired twice. So who knows if this one's going to stick. I think he's probably just going to be making movies until he dies. Um, following in, I guess, Kurosawa's footsteps a little bit. But his his next movie is How Do You Live? Which is um, ominous. Um, but it's it's like the only thing we have about it is there's like a poster of it and it's like a big like stork bird thing um, and just the title and it and they made an announcement that they are not going to publish any image or trailer for the movie before the film gets released uh, on July 14th in Japan. So that that's kind of the kicker for us for us Americans we probably will get um you know stuff when it comes out in Japan like the whole movie's probably going to be out before uh we can see it unless you have uh a VPN like the sponsor of today's video uh like in the description m mini viking fast zone VPN it's VPN. Yeah. Or it's $2 a month. If you pay for five hours for five years of it, it's a steal, <laughs> but you have to pay it up front, <laughs> but you have to pay it up front. So it's like $70. <laughs> <laughs> it's a steal. You got to trust me. Um, so yeah, I don't know when it's coming out in America or worldwide, but, um, I think this is pretty, it's pretty good because you don't need marketing for, for Miyazaki movie. He's been making movies for 40 years and his name kind of carries a lot of weight in especially animation circles. So it's like, oh, okay, his last movie. Yeah, I'm going to see that no matter what. Like, at, there's not, like a trailer or an image or seeing the art style is not going to sway me either way. I'm just going to go see it. And they know that. So I kind of dig it. I, I dig this move, especially with how big Ghibli is. Like the, the, the fact that they're still taking chances on stuff like this. I'm a big fan. So 
that's it. That's it for news. Uh, not not a very exciting week. I think we're uh, getting close to a couple gaming things. I think uh, the Xbox and Summer Games Fest, I believe, is this week. Or maybe uh, beginning of next week. So hopefully we don't have podcast timing on that. But we probably do. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Um we might have gaming stuff to talk about next week, but that's it for news this week. We do have some CS2 updates. There was a CS2 update. As of today. I, uh, Podca- I, I actually have some pretty good podcast timing today. Oh, okay, good. It's pretty good. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they've opened up the beta to, like, I don't think they've, like, opened the threshold of how many people get let in, unfortunately, which yeah. is kind of stupid. I feel like they'd want more people in it now. But um, they basically updated a whole bunch of stuff, stuff that they have not talked about before. Um, but Dust 2 is gone now. Mirage is the map. Okay. Which is great because I think people were losing their minds playing Dust 2 over and over <laughs> again, which I do not blame them for. Mm-hmm. It's like the most default map ever. But, yeah, Mirage is the map now. It looks gorgeous. Um, you can really see the changes in the lighting effects on this map now because you have, like, Palace and stuff that's, like, Mm-hmm. super kind of dimly lit and edgy and then you have like the super bright sights and it's, it's really cool um but a big change uh they have added is i like how a lot of this stuff is like the very nice necessities that valorant gave people and they're just putting it in cs which is great so now like the unfortunately <laughs> their their blog post was called goodbye wheel and that made me chuckle <laughs> That's like that's like what our final video will be called <laughs> on the main channel. Um, but the buy wheel is gone, um, and they're replacing it with like a grid system like Valorant, where you can see everything on one kind of screen, um, and you can sell items. You can refund oh. them, which is awesome, because I don't know how this game has not had that yet. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of Valorant, is if you misclick something, you can just sell it right away and buy something else. Um, so great. Uh, another thing, which is kind of interesting. I'm curious to see like where this is going to go. You can equip things, um, like with a certain amount of slots. So when you like have your pistol slots, you have with your starting pistol and then you get to choose four other pistols that you can purchase in game. Mm. Um, or for rifles, you have five rifle slots. So you have your M4, your op, that kind of thing, but you can equip both M4s on the CT side if you want. You can, oh. like, get rid of your FAMAS and put an M4 or A4 in its place or something. Interesting. So you can kind of pick and choose what guns you want to bring with you. So I, I'm guessing what this is going to lead to is more gun options um, because the terrorist side doesn't really have any secondary AK rifle. Um, a cool thing that they could borrow from Valorant is, like, bringing the T-side some kind of Guardian-type gun that's, like, single fire. Mm. I think that would be really cool. Um but I feel like this is kind of opening the doorway to more weapons so we can have a little bit more variety instead of just using the same five guns all the time. Right. Um, but they started the workshop tools for skins, for CS2 skins, so people can start making those um, because that's the most important part of the game, obviously. Duh. Um, but, and then they just fixed a whole bunch of random stuff um, with, like, the ping system. Um, ooh, another thing is the VAC system will now live ban people and terminate the match immediately 
which oh. is what Valorant does, which is really cool. Yeah. Because um, then you don't have to deal with this person spin botting for 17 rounds because we have run into that multiple times. Yes. Um, so very good changes. Uh, I'm glad that they're just like kind of ripping these things and using them because they are very good quality of life things that should have been implemented in this game a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. So still no word on when it's coming out. I don't think we'll ever get a word on when the full game is coming out. Um, they just said summer. It's not summer yet, technically. We have like two weeks for that. But True. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of like thinking it's going to be more in the August realm than the June realm. Holidays. Yeah. Um, if I don't it's know. Nothing by now. It's going to be probably holiday release date. I mean. Well, they said summer. I <laughs> usually oh, Bell summer. doesn't say a release date unless they like for sure know. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm guessing it's going to be later in the summer because they just implemented this patch. Oh so, yeah. Unless they do like the like a quote unquote delay, but then they open up the beta for everybody for a little bit. I feel like that could be a good solve too. But I think so too. We'll keep updating as we see. I'm hoping I get access one of these days so I can at least just try it. Um, it's kind <laughs> of annoying having to like watch other people play it and read the patch notes and be like, oh, that sounds so nice. That sounds interesting. Not be able to try it. I wish but I could play it. I wish I could play it. <laughs> but we'll keep you updated. It'll probably be a surprise drop. Speaking of the weird marketing thing that we were talking about, where it's like kind of just, ooh, there it is. Valve's kind of strategy is just no marketing. Yes. So. Yeah. Even yeah. like when they did like, the Half-Life Alex. it was like two mm-hmm. months before the game came out that they announced it. It was like, hey, here's this. Here you go. They, don't they need really are just a software. They really have Steam. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's true. See, this yeah. is uh, what we were talking about. The marketing. Exactly. This, is how, this is how it's done. Yeah, don't they like plaster it on like the front of the store page? Like that upper banner, don't they? Well, sure. I don't know. Did they do that with Alex? I'm sure oh, they did yeah. that with oh, Alex. Oh, yeah, they did. Yep. Same with the stream, the Steam Deck. That's everywhere on here too. Oh yeah. So that's that's the extent of their marketing usually. Yeah. You don't have to pay for their marketing. Exactly. You and have you have people doing it for you. Yeah. Everybody is already using Steam, so there you yeah. go. All, your target audience is a captive audience, if you will. True. Those so, couple hundred people that only use Epic Games are missing out, though. That's true. <laughs> Poor Epic Games users. that's it yeah okay uh yeah hopefully we'll have more gaming stuff to talk about next week hopefully i'm still playing tears of a kingdom i'm enjoying it but i'm not even close to finishing i think you know you have to go to like the four the four the same four places you went to in the last game uh, and in the like month or so that it's been out, I've only been to three. I've not touched the Gerudo Desert yet. Um, I've been going hard in the underground level. So, yeah, I don't even know where I'm supposed to go once I uh, finish the, the fourth place. So, I think you're supposed to build another portal. Oh, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing people on Twitter being like, finally finished Tears of the Kingdom. I'm like, man, do you guys just, like, bum rush the main quests? Like, how are you finishing this thing so soon? I don't understand. Uh, and maybe it's because I want to find all of the fun, um, like, 
the armor. I want to find all the funny clothes so I can get a super cool outfit. So when I fight Ganon, I can look really swag-tastic, if you will. Or Ganondorf, not Ganon anymore. Now he's a man. A hot man. Yes. Speaking of hot men, let's talk about some films. I watched three action movies? What? Mark? Three? I know. Last week I didn't have any. I watched like 80% of The Raid 2, but I didn't want to talk about it because I hadn't finished it. I finished it. So, let's talk about The Raid 2. Uh, the Raid 2, written and directed by Gareth Evans, starring uh, pretty much the same people. Uh, Iko Uwais, Arifin Putra, and Cisep Arif Rahman. Um, I think my critique, my, my very slight critique that I gave last week when I had only seen 80% of the movie, um, in that they put all of their, their chips in the story, or they put about half of their chips in the story, and uh, the other half on really interesting action scenes. Um, and because of that, it kind of... And I, I guess it's more a critique of every single action movie ever. But because they split their time like that, it the, the story just feels like little bridge sections just to explain these fun action scenes they wanted to shoot. And I completely understand that I am describing, like, every I would, modern action movie, I guess, but every action movie in general. The story is only there to service the action, where in the first Raid movie, the action is there to service the action. There is, like, five minutes of backstory, and then it's just action throughout the entire movie. And it's awesome. It's the best movie of all time, probably. Uh, this movie's like, okay, the first one was a success. Now we can make these kind of big, bombastic action scenes. Not They're not just going to be in an apartment building, because the entire first movie takes place in an apartment building. But in my opinion, that makes the action way better, because everything is very confined. Um, it's, the, it's the same reason why every single hallway fight scene is the best fight scene in any movie that there's a hallway fight scene in. Because, yeah, like, you know, something like a big battle in The Lord of the Rings is visually interesting, but there's not, like, you can just, like, get on your horse and ride away if you are, you know, you're, you're, and you're in trouble. You can just go, I'm out of here, bye-bye. Or even if, like, you're fighting in a giant field, you can just turn around and hightail it. But if you're in a hallway, you know, where you came from, you know, why would you want to go back there? You're trying to get out of this place. And the only way forward is through, like, 20 dudes. And hilarity ensues, as you can probably imagine. Laugh track, please. Laugh track, please. Um, and I think they do kind of try to remedy this by creating situations where um, the main character is now kind of uh, 
uh, Paul Walker in Fast and Furious, if you will. He is an undercover it, agent. Oh. <laughs> well, no, not yet. <laughs> He's an undercover agent, and he is trying to kill the guy who killed his brother. Um, because this movie takes place like, uh, well, it starts like immediately after the first one. Um, no other movies have done this. I just can't think of any off the top of my head. Absolutely but none. Absolutely no sequel has ever started directly after the original movie. Um, yeah, I know I've seen movies that do this before, but I, I literally, I, I'm, I can't think of any. But it just, it, yeah. So <laughs> literally the, the first movie ends with them leaving the apartment building and then the second movie starts with them leaving the apartment building and where they're going right after that. It's kind of like, and this isn't a movie, but it's kind of like Ozark or a Breaking Bad type thing where it's like the seasons, like they just, <laughs> there's no time jump between those seasons. It's just like, oh, this is just the next day. And you just have to try to remember what happened a year ago. Um, because we're not going to hold your hand at all. Um, kind of like that. But this movie kind of cheats a little bit because it, uh, <laughs> it does that. It explains where they go, and then it, there is a time jump. So, I don't know. They tried to do something, but then it was like, okay... I guess you kind of have to have some time if you want to get to what they're doing because basically they wanted a bunch of like prison fight things that he's an undercover cop and he's in prison. And so a bunch of prisoners are going to want to fight him. So let's get him into prison. Um, okay, well, well then he's going to have to do something that's going to be illegal and that's going to take planning and that's going to take months. And then he's in prison and then, the action scenes are really good, but it's it's just like the the things that lead up to the action scenes just feel kind of like loosey goosey, not super thought out. Um, especially because the choreography in this movie is probably on the same level, if not better, than the first one. Which is why it almost makes the uh, the story part of it more disappointing, because it's like just just get just get to the the fun action scenes. I would love this movie if it was like a collection of like fifteen minute shorts, and they just they just shot action scenes in these like cool locations that they wanted to, but because it's tied together, kind of sloppily, and pretty much exactly the plot of the godfather except if uh, al pacino decided he did want to kill his dad instead of not i don't know uh it's it's i guess the reverse godfather but yeah I don't know. It was like Godfather, but with better action, which is not really saying anything because the Godfather has like zero action in it. So, um, yeah, 
I don't know. I still gave it a four out of five. I really enjoyed um, all of the fight scenes, and the fight scenes take up like 70% of the movie. But, um, yeah, considering I gave the last one, like, uh, uh, I think I gave it four and a half. Um, I don't know if I'm willing to, to make the jump and give it a perfect score. Um, but this one's just like, eh, just a little bit less, just a little bit, because I still really enjoyed my time with it, but I did have some gripes with it. So that is my review of the raid two. This, the second action movie I watched was Kingsman, the secret service. It's the first Kingsman movie of three. I believe they are making a fourth one. And technically, the third one is a prequel. So I don't know where all this fits in. But the first Kingsman movie, directed by Matthew Vaughn, written by Matthew Vaughn and Jane Goodman. Uh, it is starring Taron Edgerton, Colin Firth, and Samuel L. Jackson. So you're pretty much guaranteed a pretty good movie. I feel like every movie that Sam Jackson is in is pretty good. Except for Spike Lee's old boy. Uh, they gave him like a mohawk in that one, I think. Because... What he deserves. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think Spike Lee was like, Hey, Sam, have you ever had a mohawk in all of your movies? Because, you know, he's he has the most acting credits uh, ever, I think. And Sam said, no, I don't think so. So Spike Lee put him in the mohawk um, just because he had never done that before. And it's weird. But, you know, say what you will about Sam Jackson. He plays a pretty good villain. Uh, for some reason in this movie, he has a lisp. Uh, I almost didn't notice it. It at makes first. him evil. It, it makes him very evil. I don't know. <laughs> He's not very menacing at all. He's playing like a uh, Mark Zuckerberg on steroids type guy where it's like, what oh, if, <laughs> yes, but it's more directly like this guy's a tech. Well, I guess it is kind of like Elon Musk, but what if Elon Musk had more power or basically this guy is running an autonomous state um, and he's meeting with world leaders and like, well, I guess Elon Musk does that, too. <laughs> I don't know. This movie came out in 2014, so I don't think that they were basing it off of Elon Musk at that time. But I feel like you could take any of those idiots and like make a personality that's pretty similar. That's true. That is true. But, but Well, actually, there's more connections to Elon Musk because Sam Jackson you know, claims to be an environmentarian, conservationist-type guy. He's, he, you know, he's a philanthropist. Well, I don't think Elon Musk is a philanthropist. But, you know, he's, he's a billionaire and he's given a bunch of money to, like, we got to save the environment until he realizes, you know, maybe the world would just be better off with no humans on it. Um, and I want to release a virus through these SIM cards that I'm going to give out to people where I'm going to promise free internet for everybody on the planet. 
And then when everybody gets these SIM cards, or more importantly, when poor people start getting these SIM cards, then I'm going to activate uh, a neurological virus that um, gets rid of their inhibitions and turns up their, like, uh, rage, their violent uh, urges. Um, so basically, it just turns everybody into mindless fighting robots, uh, and he's going to wipe out the entire population of the Earth with this virus, except for the people he likes, which coincidentally are the rich people, they are the world politicians, the world leaders, basically everybody who when he told this plan to them, wasn't immediately like, oh, you're a crazy person. Why are you doing... You're going to kill everybody on the planet? Everyone... That, what about the profit motive? There's not really a profit motive. He's just like, I want to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he's. I think his like motivation is that he's like... Yeah, I tried doing the philanthropy thing and it didn't really work. So like I just realized that he just human gives up. Yeah, pretty much. He was just like when you have a virus, what do you do? Like when you know, you get a fever and the fever either kills the virus or if it's really bad it kills you. And if you think about it, humans are the virus. And I'm just going to be the fever. Either humans are going to kill the earth or the earth is going to kill the humans. And he's like, I think that earth should kill the humans, except for the people that like me, all of my yes men. And we're all we're going to go in this un underground bunker in the Himalayas and we're all going to hide and just watch on the TV uh, while there's disco balls and stuff, and everybody's having this white tie gala while just on the TVs there's just uh, poor people killing each other. Um, and that is, that is the premise for a schlocky spy action movie um, that is kind of a parody of James Bond. It's kind of like in The Naked Gun, where that whole movie is a joke, but for some reason it's about murdering the Queen of England. Um, it's very base. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but this movie, um, I kind of described the end first. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, I think the, 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 you know, the schlocky writing... It does make it pretty G-dang enjoyable. Sam Jackson's really hamming it up. Gotta love it. Um, and then it's like a direct kind of contrast to the, the Kingsmen people who are hoity-toity British men. Like, the leader is played by Michael Caine. And the guy who recruits Taron Edgerton is played by Colin Firth, who's like right off the coattails of the King's Speech, um, this very prestigious movie where he plays the uh, the King of England. And he is, like, he's just basically doing that, like, refined RP British accent. Um, that James Bond classic kind of, uh, you know, kind of accent that they uh, make fun of in Always Sunny. 
that one where they play the revolutionary American colonists or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, and then you know Sam Jackson is just Sam Jackson. He's not doing a voice. Um, so there's there's that. Um, and the the thing that's kind of interesting is that Taron Edgerton is playing this kind of like Cockney. Um, lower class guy. Um, he, his mom is a single mom. His stepdad like is super abusive. Uh, like beats up him and his mom. Uh, and you know he, uh, I guess sired uh, a little baby and does nothing to take care of it. Um, so. You know, a typical representation of the ends. Just, just thought I'd flex my my British vernacular there for a second. Wow, <laughs> a true Brexit easy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so it is kind of interesting because Colin Firth kind of takes a liking to Terry Nakerton, even though, you know, um, they are very they come from very different backgrounds. Um, and you know, that, that is even done in how they talk and it's, it's not, you know, super in your face or anything, but it is just a subtle reminder throughout the entire movie that these two characters really have nothing in common, but they're both going to be epic spies. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, a, a good choice and Taron Edgerton does a really good job of like keeping that accent I don't know what his um, natural accent is the only other thing I've seen him in is that he was Elton John in the Rocket Man movie um, in which he is doing an Elton John accent so I don't I don't know what I don't know where Elton John is from um, in England um, but fun fact, Elton John is in the second Kingsman movie, mm-hmm. and Taron Egerton is in the second Kingsman movie. I, I, I think that that's probably where they met. Uh, I don't know if that's true. It probably is, <laughs> just because they were both in that movie, and then a biopic of Elton John starring Taron Egerton came out like two or three years later, so... I mean, I I feel like that's probably where they met, but Rocket Man's also a good movie. I'd recommend it. Um, biopics are are generally pretty hit or miss, um, and I would say if you don't like musicals, I would say stay away from Rocket Man. It is it is more of a musical than like a Bohemian Rhapsody is because all the music in that one is under the context of watching them perform, whereas in Rocket Man. It is more like they break out into song, um, appropriate Elton John songs during periods of Elton John's life. But that, that's what makes it kind of interesting. It's very stylized and good. Same with the Kingsman, The Secret Service. Uh, I think let's talk about the action now because I feel like that's probably the most important part of your schlocky action spy movie. Um, I would say the action is very, very good. When it happens, there are three action scenes, maybe, if you want to... Well, you could count four, 
But that fourth one takes like 20 seconds, so I'm not going to count it. Um, one of them is phenomenal. Maybe one of the one of the best action sequences I've ever seen. Uh, the, the second one is, is pretty good. And then the third one is funny. So, yeah, let's... Uh, so the, the best action scene in the movie is definitely the um, the one that takes place in the white supremacist church uh, because Sam Jackson wants to test his mental virus on, you know, just some people. On the um, most mentally insane people. <laughs> yeah, so he goes down to, like, the Dirty South, and there's this church that is, like, it's listed as a hate group, so I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, the Westboro Baptist church or like something like that, where, you know, there's like a very, very short, we get a very like short snippet of a sermon. Colin Firth is kind of scoping the place out because he found out that Sam Jackson was looking at this place and he's like, okay, what's so special about this hate group that Sam Jackson wants something to do with them? I bet something there's trouble afoot. And we get a very short snippet where the pastor is like, ah, I hate Catholics, I hate black people, and I hate gay people. And then Colin Firth is like, I've heard enough. This is offensive to my upper-class British sensibilities. <laughs> because if there's one thing that upper-class British people love, it's Catholics and gay yes, people. Sir. Even though... England is, is very famously Protestant. Uh, they even forced the Irish to be Protestant. And the Northern Anglican, Ireland... Anglican, isn't it? Yes, the Church of England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anglican. Yes, it is... Uh, it's like a Protestant, I think. It, it I is know. technically Protestant, but it's also essentially Catholic. Um, <laughs> from, from what I can tell. When... It was like the, what was it, Henry VIII? Was that the guy that was like, you know, divorcing? It was, a Henry. It was one of the Henrys. And mm -hmm. he was like, I want to divorce my wife. And the church said, no. And he said, I'm going to make sister. You can't do that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, not, not that time. He was just like, I hate my wife. There's too many Henrys. I can't hear you. This is the crazy one that like married okay. and divorced like eight women. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, yeah. he executed all of them too for well, the most yeah. part. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think he founded the Church of England because he's like, I don't want permission did, yeah. from the church. Ah, I want to make my own church where I can divorce any woman I want. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't think that English people like the church very much. Um, but apparently Colin Firth got angry because he, he said that he doesn't like Catholics. So he gets up and gets ready to leave. And that's when Sam Jackson turns on the angry mode virus, the goblin mode virus, if you will. Um, and we just, there's just this really long scene of, of Colin Firth just murdering a bunch of, uh, you know, racist, uh, white Southerners. Um, and it's probably the, the best thing in the entire world. Um, it, it's kind of like in the end of Inglorious Bastards where you watch like, um, 
you know, the, those two, uh, the Jewish guys, isn't it the bear Jew, one of them? I think so, yeah. Uh, where, you know, you just get to watch him just shoot up Hitler and blow his face off, you know, watch a bunch of not- Nazis get burned alive in a theater. You know, it's just really cathartic. Um, and so it's very similar, where it's just like, ah, this is very nice. This is This is very chill and cool. And then, like, he leaves, and he's like, I can't believe I did that. And it's like, you should be happy you did that, because that was pretty awesome. So I think he should have done a Fortnite dance when he walked out of the church. And that would have been cool. Instead of being shocked and surprised, he should have done the Orange the Justice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have been pretty sick. Um, but, yeah. So that was, like, the best action scene. It's probably, like, two and a half minutes. I would highly recommend People watch it because it is, um, uh, it's very stylized and it's shot um, very well um, for an action scene. It isn't like your typical action scenes or like a, or a Marvel action scene where you can't tell what's going on because they're cutting like every two seconds. So like you can't see what's happening, but then it's over and you're like, wow, that was really sick because they just wiped out like eight people in 10 seconds and it's like well okay it would have been impressive if i could see it but you can't really see anything it's like this is it's the illusion of being one shot so it's not actually one shot so it's very similar to there's a hallway scene in guardians of the galaxy 3 that is like that where it's not one shot they're using some trickery to get around it but um you know because they are doing that you can clearly see what is happening. And I think that is how you do an action scene, um, which is also what the raid does in both of their movies. So why I'm talking about good action here. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend the movie. I gave it a three and a half out of five. It's not high art. <laughs> it's definitely not high art, um, but it is pretty good. So and the action scenes kind of make it worth it. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I was going to give the Raid 2 three and a half stars. I'm like, I can't give the Raid 2 the same rating as Kingsman, the Secret Service, because the Raid 2 is better. But, you know, Kingsman is funnier. So it does have that. Um but one thing I will give uh, the raid to over Kingsman is that Kingsman almost exclusively used CGI blood, which is one of my pet peeves. Never, ever do that. I hate every single <laughs> like studio exec that's like, it's cheaper to do CGI blood. We'll just add it in They'll post. They'll never tell. They'll never tell. It looks worse. <laughs> it's, so <obvious. laughs> it's so obvious and it never looks good. Um, and like I'm not I'm not a total like detractor of CGI where it's like oh, oh CGI bad CGI yeah. is is fine you know it, it it can be used well to enhance um, movies but also there is something to practical effects um, you know like the thing one of the most famous horror movies, one of my favorite horror movies, there's, like, 
it uses like every single practical like trick in the book where it uses like forced perspective. Uh, there's like animatronics, there's, you know, giant puppets, um, there's stop motion, um, and they're all just used to convey this thing. And it looks, you never believe it. You know, it doesn't look like a real alien the way that you might be able to do with CGI, but because it's actually in the world, it adds that, that stake. You, you, you're like, oh shit, that's real. Like, that's actually in the room. And, you know, when actors actually have something to act opposite of, that also enhances their performance. So, um, it, you know, n so <laughs> imagining someone's face getting blown off is a little easier to do when someone is loaded up with a squib or there's a model head that is, you know, getting a squib blasted off of. Um, it's better for the actors and it's better for the viewers because they're like, you can tell. And even if it isn't as believable as CG, um, I think it just enhances the experience a whole lot more. Um, and yeah, that is the one thing that kind of takes away from Kingsman is that, I think I think almost, almost all the blood is CGI, and uh, yeah, don't do that. I feel like I feel like that's kind of become a thing of the past. Um, I feel like blood nowadays is we're back to using squibs and uh, like real fake blood as opposed to fake fake blood. Uh, like for, ketchup packets as, as well, just as in CG, uh, fake strawberry blood. jelly, strawberry jelly. We're not talking about the blob here. Yeah, should be. Uh, eventually, yeah. The, the 1953 movie, The Blob, uh, which of course is about a giant red blob that kills people, and it's definitely not an allegory mm. for communism. Um, but yeah, that was almost exclusively done with like strawberry jelly and strawberry jello and they just made like miniature things and then shoved the jelly through it. Um, innovation. It's, it was crazy. It, you know, it scared the people who thought that the train was going to come out of the theater and hit them. <laughs> <True>. so. <laughs> Not really saying much. Um, but I did, I did hear something funny. Like I think this was a red letter media thing when they were talking about fifties sci-fi movies, and they were like, you know, all of these movies are made not to actually watch them. They are made to like take your sweetheart to the drive-in theater and be like, I'm gonna take you to a scary movie. And she's like, oh, I don't, why do I don't like those scary pictures? She's like, oh, don't worry, we'll just. We'll j you can hide under my jacket during the scary parts, and we I'm can moving pictures. Yeah, <laughs> can smooch during the the picture. Uh, Get off of a nice hard fourteen day work in the factory. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. lost your third child to disease, but at least we can 
but at make least you can watch the scary movie. <laughs> we can make out to an allegory for communism. Yes. And it's a guy a in, a, in a rubber suit that's walking <laughs> in the woods. That's every single that's crazy. <laughs> every single 50s horror movie. Um, yeah. It's kind of a wonder that Psycho ended up so good. Just like a couple of years, you know, a decade after The Blob, Psycho came out. It's like, how the frick? Everything was still like, oh, we need to over-explain everything so that the kids have time to smooch. Uh, even Zat. Remember Zat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the majority of that movie is just scientists talking about Zat. Or long, stretched-out footage of nothing. So that, you know, kids could uh, smooch in the drive-in theater. Uh, and then Zat shows up for like 10 seconds. And that's when that's when you throw your popcorn and you're like, ah, this is too scary. He's, He's destroying dead. a pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too scared. <laughs> and then it's just nothing. And then nothing for another 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. I forgot what we were talking about. What what got uh, us on that spinoff? Was it fake know. blood? Probably. Is that how we got no. here? At one point, we were talking about Anglicanism, which actually I have some fun facts for. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how popular the English Church of England was, and apparently quite a bit. It's the third most, I guess, highest membership of every denomination of Christianity only being by Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. Which, oh. does that mean there's more in the English Church and there's Protestants? Well, English Church is Protestant. Uh, well, no, that's Anglicanism. Well, yeah, but it, as long as you aren't a okay. part of the Church or Orthodoxy, you should be Protestant. Because there Maybe. are different sects in, in Catholicism and be. Orthodoxy. I don't know, because then there's Reformed, then there's a dozen other. But either way, Very there's big. that. Also, it did not start with Henry. He was just like the final catalyst. Apparently, the Christianity had been different in England than it had been basically everywhere else since like 200 A.D., because they oh. just had, like, their own ways of doing it. You know, they're not in mainland Europe and all that, so they don't really care much about the Pope far away. Sure. And then the last fun fact, there are more Anglicans in Nigeria than there are in the Great Britain. wonder how that happened. <laughs> Wait, was Britain... Wait, did Britain colonize the Nigeria... Yeah. Britain colonized most of, most of the earth. I, I think know. like 80% of the countries on earth. But, you know, Africa was divvied up by so many things. Like, was that Britain? Was that French. France or Belgium or Germany? Yeah, or Spain or whatever else. Yeah. yeah. Nigeria is like right on that eastern uh, peninsula. Well, Nigeria, I believe, was the French. No, it was British. Was it? Yeah. Interesting. Also, it's more than the British Isles and North America combined. So, yeah, yeah. even more. Well, I, I wouldn't expect many Anglicans in, in North America. Except maybe Canada. Probably a, probably a decent Roll amount Canadians. of Canada. 
just Maybe. because they they are still very close to Britain. They have the lady on their money, don't they? Maybe. Possibly. I don't know. You get you get all kinds of stuff on this podcast. That's true. Religious history, movies, video games, <laughs> communism. It's a grab bag of sorts. Speaking of grab bags, let's briefly talk about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I've seen this film, and I'm not going to talk about it, really, uh, because I think we're going to talk about it more next week, because, you know, Babby's going to see it. So I think we will have a full-on spoiler discussion next week of the Spider-Verse movie. Um, so not really not really going to talk about it here, but I, I, there's been some developments with it uh, outside of the actual contents of the movie that I think might be interesting to talk about. Um, so I think uh, generally... Information directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, Justin K. Thompson, and Kemp Powers. The only one I recognize in that list is Kemp Powers. I believe he co-wrote Soul. I think that's that's the guy. Um, but I think the is is this the same? Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, he did co-write Soul. Um, but it's written by Dave Callahan, Phil Lord, and Chris Miller. Uh, Phil Lord, I'm pretty sure, did the majority of the writing of the first one. Uh, Chris Miller, the kind of writing duo, just kind of produced the first one. And then uh, now they are back to kind of duoing with Dave Callahan, which I don't I don't know much about what he has done. Um, so I don't know, but, you know, short... Short little uh, thing before we talk about the plot next week. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I think it's going to be pretty hard to... um, For me, and I know a lot of people are willing to give the uh, uh, leg up to the second one as being the better movie, but to me, I think it is very hard to make that decision before we see the second part. Because this is part one of a two-part, uh, I guess, finale to the Spider-Verse trilogy. I don't even know what it is. Is it a trilogy if the, I guess it would if be the if second three one movies. is two parts? Now yeah. there's three. There's three movies, but now this is two. Now there's three of them. Uh, I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, but yes, this is very much the, um, the setup to what I guess is going to be a very crazy third movie. And I'm glad we don't have to wait very long. Um, this movie was supposed to come out like, I think like three or four months ago and they pushed it, um, so that the release date for this movie would be closer to when the second one is coming out, which is in March. So it's still nine months, um, but, it's you know, not that long, though. it's not. In the grand scheme of things, you know, that's, uh, 
It's not very long, and especially for the quality of this movie, um, I'm not sure if we're going to get a, a, like an Atlanta situation where uh, these two movies were made concurrently, and so they are both kind of able to reach a certain level of quality, because this movie is pretty g-dang uh, phenomenal, especially in the art department, which I don't think is surprising to anybody. But, yeah, I think that is probably the main draw for most people. This movie looks completely different to every single animated movie that is, or I guess every single mainstream animated movie. I'll throw that out there. Because there are weirdo art house animated movies that are way more experimental than this movie is, but you're not going to see any of that produced by Sony pic animated pictures or DreamWorks or, or even Pixar, because Pixar is stuck on their photorealistic game. Um, but I think this goes to show that you don't need photorealism to make a absolutely beautiful movie. Uh, I would say, like, every single frame is, uh, is a beautiful painting of sorts. Uh, put that on a Twitter. Uh, no. that? Every frame, what is it? Every frame of painting. I think there's a Twitter that, that uh, has There's that. every frame of Breaking Bad. Well, n yes, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, it's it's really, really great. Um, I think the, the character writing is really good. You get your kind of standard Spider-Man fare in the, uh, the, the beginning of the movie. Um, and then it kind of transitions into weirdo stuff. Um, and... I think, I mean, this movie is definitely pulling off the impossible. It's, it's pulling an Infinity War here in that it's a superhero movie where the supervillain is almost completely understandable in their motives and uh, their reasoning, but maybe uh, their means aren't exactly uh, what, you know, is is uh the the right thing. You know, Thanos just wanted to help everybody, you know. Instead in of in yeah, in a way. <laughs> uh you know, and you know, there have been uh, uh, logical kind of weird fallacies and some of that is probably ego too, but like if you if you had a a wish which essentially, if you have all the infinity stones and you had a wish, why would you wish to eliminate half of all living things? And or, you know, when you could just wish for infinite food or infinite resources for every living then thing there on the be planet. A <laughs> I know there wouldn't be a movie, uh, but I think that's what this movie does better because I I don't see an alternative to what um, Miguel or, or Spider-Man 2099 is uh, is kind of uh, presenting. It seems like a lose-lose a kind of thing, and although I am a rooting for Miles, obviously, 
it is uh it's like okay i mean this is a bad situation it's it's you know i don't know and i'm sure there's gonna be a way that they're gonna work it out in the the last movie um but yeah it's it's kind of uh it's <laughs> it's kind of a, a a weird kind of ethical thing and i think i think a movie is great when the online discourse of it isn't like, oh, wow, that was so sick. Wow, that was amazing. It's like people are actually debating the kind of ethics and, and logic of the villain and the hero, and people are having wildly different opinions on everything, and I think that's great. That's the kind of reaction that a movie should elicit. Um, or, or a kind of a great movie should all this said because there's tons of schlock movies where it's like why I'm not going to debate the intricacies of Hack-O-Lantern I'm just <laughs> going to enjoy Hack-O-Lantern because it's a funny movie um, debate it anyways it the memes true. yeah that's right <laughs> the memes uh, but yeah I think this this movie very very good we'll we'll dig into the plot a little bit next week but already the response to this movie has been absolutely crazy uh it hasn't even been out for a week as of us recording this podcast and it is already the highest rated movie on letterboxd let's go uh, crazy stuff um the the first one um is uh, number t- 17 in the the official top 250 narrative feature films on Letterboxd. Um, and now Spider... Across the Spider-Verse, a, a Marvel movie has dethroned the long-standing champion Come and See, a 1985 Soviet... Uh, movie about i believe the german uh the the german assault on uh what is it Stalingrad? no it's it's a really small village it isn't like anything crazy but i forgot the director's name but yeah elim klimov something (laughs) elim elim klimov um the poster of it is crazy. I don't know yeah. why it looks like that. <laughs> I also have not seen the movie, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of, it's weird to see Spider-Verse above like Parasite and both of the Godfather movies and, and Seven Samurai. It's I'm like, sure it'll come down eventually, but. Yeah, right now it is sitting at a 4.7 and Come and See is at a 4.6. So, people love this movie. I am not that... I, I, I don't have it as a perfect score right now. And I think it's just hard for me because it is just one half. This is a giant setup for the second movie. Um, and while it is, is fantastic, I, I loved it. But it is just... Um, it is a setup, and and I, there have been a lot of people like if you if you sort by 
half star ratings on Letterboxd and read the reviews, it is all just like, uh, this is just a giant setup. This is a huge waste of time, which I mean, that's not true, but <laughs> like, I kind of get that though, where, where the end of this movie did leave me wanting more. Um, it is not a satisfying conclusion at all because it has to set up this whole other movie that's coming out in, uh, in nine months. Um, so that's a standalone movie right now. Um, it leaves a little bit to be desired for me, which is interesting because of how much I love that first movie. Um, but you know, that first movie has a, a concrete beginning, middle and end. And this one does not, but I am, I will be more than willing to bump up the score to, to a perfect score once the second one comes out and I see how uh, it ends because it's a great first half. I'm, I just got to wait for the second half to come out. So right now I have it as at a, a four and a half out of five, which I realize is uh, still very high um, and it should be that high. But I, do, I feel like I need to explain not giving it a perfect score at this point because it feels like everybody and their dad is giving it a perfect score. Um, but if it makes you feel any better, Grant also watched this movie, and he gave it four oh. and a half stars. Uh, okay. So, it, it, you know, it even failed the Grant test. I forget what, what, what the terminology is. Um, yeah, But yeah, he, he was messaging me after... He saw the movie and he was, uh, he was, you know, blown away, which is crazy because you'll never guess what he gave the first one. Two and a half. Very close. He gave it three. Uh -huh. Like you're crazy. <laughs> it's one of the best animated movies of all time. <laughs> um, He's an anime watcher though. It's a little different. I suppose it's no Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah even though it's it's better than Howl's Moving Castle. Um, not It's not by a crazy amount, because Howl's Moving no. Castle is also great. But, like, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... that That's going to be it for the little brief discussion about Spider-Verse. We'll talk about it more in-depth. I will say, before you watch Spider-Verse, if you are going to sit through the credits, don't. Don't Thank do you. it. Yep. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I did. Leave anyways, I hate after credits. So. Yeah. Um, Look it up on Google after. I, I hate I, do. I hate that, I, uh, that Marvel popularized this, because yeah. now it's like movies that have no right having after credit scenes or having after credit scenes. I was like, well, I gotta see the whole movie. I feel like I'm missing something. Um, even though it was, they weren't the first to do it. Like, Ferris Bueller had an after credit scene. And that one's great. So I don't know, like, what determines a good after credit scene and what doesn't. One that doesn't determine a plot line coming in a new movie. <laughs> True. And that is something that we can talk about with the first one, because that one does have an after credit scene. Mm -hmm. That sets up, like, Spider-Man 2099 and, like, the AI thing that is integral to uh, the plot of the second one. 
um, in the end of the first one. Um, and, you know, I think this is actually kind of the way to do it, because I watched the first one the night before I saw the second one. Yeah, I'm going to watch the first one again. Yeah, I think that is a good idea. Um, it's been a while. I watched it a couple months ago, and I was still like, I should probably watch it right before. Um, and it does a little bit to, like, set up the, the first one if, if, you know, it's been a minute when you first watch it. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of, like, little details that, like, oh, wait, did they think about this? Like, was this planned? Like, I thought this was just going to be, like, a one-off little thing that that Lord and Miller were going to be producing. And then once it became successful and Post Malone made the Sunflower song for it and that blew up, then they were like, okay, let's make two more movies. But there are, like, things in the first one that, like, come up again in the second one in a way that, like, did they plan for this? Like, was it always intended to be two or three movies? Or are they just really good at playing up that stuff? Uh, it's kind of hard to say, but yeah. Very impressed with the second one. I think it will not disappoint anyone. If uh, if you like the first one and you want more, then that's what this is. So there you go. That's that's a little a little taste of the more in-depth conversation that we will have next Just week. Little. It's very small, even though it was probably like fifteen minutes or so. But that's small for you. You're good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I spent the longest amount of time on the one that I liked the least, so I don't know yes. what that <laughs> says about me at all. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know what's going to be coming up next week. Uh, I am very busy. I'm doing on, on-site training. It's on-site. It's on-site, which means that, I guess for those who don't know or who didn't watch last week's podcast, I am officially a person person. I deliver persons Eat to parcels, parcels and uh, <laughs> letters to people. Um, in a big truck. Uh, and so yep. today was the first day I, uh, I drove the route, uh, and it took me 10 and a half hours to do it. It should not take that long, but, um, <laughs> this was the first time driving the truck outside of a parking lot and, uh, <laughs> I had no idea where I was going. So... Hopefully it doesn't take ten and a half hours every time because I, uh, I got home like two hours ago, and then started. I, I ate dinner, showered, and then came here. So I have not been having a lot of time to uh, watch hit films. Um, so I'd hope not, but I know driving jobs like that, though. Fairly often push you past at least eight hours. Yes. Because I dealt with that with driving at semi like You're not going to get back at hard eight hours after I get off eight hours because it depends on like a million factors along yeah. with how much work you're given. So. Yeah. But it shouldn't take that long after no. you get going like maybe a week or two. Give it. 
when uh, when I was like shadowing the guy that that does my route full time, it took him eight hours. But oh, he's also okay. been doing this for thirty years. Okay, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, you're not yeah. gonna be doing eight hours if a thirty year guy's doing eight hours. Yeah, no, no, I am not expecting that. But uh, maybe nine. You know, I'm hoping for nine and a half tomorrow. Oh. That's that's what I'm hoping for, but I would be willing to settle for ten. Um. Well, now I'm gonna need an update tomorrow. How long it takes? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what I'm gonna be doing for this week, uh, or the weekend, because I am working this weekend. Um, Saturday, Saturday is the first day that I am, uh, doing the route by myself, because the, the full-time guy was sitting in the back of the truck the whole time, criticizing me. (laughs) How dare he? Watching your every move. Yeah. What are you doing? Explain yourself. (laughs) I can't believe they're letting you go on your own so soon. (laughs) (laughs) I know. He'll never survive on these streets. <laughs> yeah. I give him a Delivering month. Delivering the mail is a tough job. <laughs> the streets, the gravel roads in the middle yeah. of nowhere. That's where I won't survive. I, I, the, the route that I'm on, it's like, I start off in like the richest neighborhood I've ever seen. I go out in the middle of nowhere. And then when I come back, I, I, I do the final street and it is, legitimately it kind of makes my stomach churn going there because of how exorbitant these houses are mm-hmm. like the fact that someone even has a house like this is kind of gross there yeah. there is a house in this in this neighborhood it's like it looks like you know it has like the spanish kind of uh like the kind of ceramic tiling for the roof it looks like the whole court like house thing that uh, Miguel's family and Coco lives. It's just like that whole thing is just one house that someone lives in and it has a bell tower. Someone's house has a bell tower on it. Why do you need a bell tower though? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. It is, I'm like, what are you doing in the middle of Iowa with this giant house? Those uh, neighborhoods are the worst. Yeah, I delivered groceries to those kind of neighborhoods, and the people are so bad too. <laughs> I didn't get any tips. <laughs> well, yeah. At least you're just yeah. giving them the mail. <laughs> that, that's true. I remember I used to deliver Jimmy John's. They would give like a dollar. That's true. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yep. You have a you have a G dang telescope in your living room, and you tip your delivery guy a dollar. What's mm-hmm. going on here? You should be uh, grateful. I will say, uh, <laughs> in the, uh, the 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 rich neighborhood this morning, one of the guys did give me a cold bottle of water. So wow. I will give I... him that. He was like, you know, you have a good day and you can have this. I'm like, wow, thank you. I was not expecting that on my third mailbox today. But, you know, that's very cool. Um, so that was pretty neat. It was kind of weird. I was very sleepy. It was a hard time focusing after he gave me this water bottle. <laughs> but I think that was just because it was so hot. That was just, yeah. You fell for it. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but 
yeah so we'll see we'll see how much time i have for for movies um i'm also uh wanting to play some more zelda so we'll see what happens uh i also need to see fast 10 oh yeah the whole reason i uh watched all those movies was so that i could see fast 10 and i have not seen it yet um but it does it's fine because this is part one of a three-part finale. Oh, my God. That's right. It was going to be two. And then they dragged it out to a third one. They're like, you know what? It wouldn't make any sense to end the franchise at 11. Uh, Let's just round it off to a nice and even uh, 12. And Vin Diesel has already announced a spinoff thing about just him. <laughs> yes. This is what I've wanted this whole time. I the love the various franchises single-handedly radicalized me. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is is that I kind of like the new ones more than the old ones just because so of how ridiculous. stupid they are. <laughs> it's like I don't need There's like There's a charm the, to that. Yeah. Um legitimately the the seventh fast and furious movie where Dwayne the rock Johnson like rips off his cast and is like punching people in prison through concrete walls. It's kind of sick. The other two new ones suck, but the seventh one for some reason goes really hard. (laughs) And I don't know why that is. Um, that, that was why I was excited because he wasn't in any of the trailers for this new one. I'm like, oh, no. Him and Vin Diesel are still mad at each other, which means that Dwayne's not going to be in these movies. Um, but I think he is in, in the new movies. And he's getting his own spinoff that isn't Hobbs and Shaw. They're just spinning off this franchise. They're saying it's over, but they're just giving everyone their own It'll movies. Never die. It's like Marvel. It's too big to fail. That's yeah. kind of the blueprint which now, is isn't it? weird because it's a movie about racing cars. Well, I mean, it's a safe IP. <laughs> you get a certain amount of money. You can literally calculate the earnings on it because <laughs> you have so many movies out. Yeah. This stupid name. <laughs> it's just easy. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And almost all of them suck. I think the highest one I uh, rated was was Furious 7, and I gave it three stars. And that's that's the highest one out of ten movies I saw. So, yeah, it's not very good. So, but I guess I'll have to drag myself. I don't want to see it in movie theaters. I'll just wait to see it because I don't want to give money to this. I'll give money to the streaming services that gives money to the studios to put it on the streaming services. Like, uh, I don't even know what Fast and Furious is on. It's probably not Max. I don't know. I never had any interest to look up any of them, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I think like two of them were on HBO Max back in the day when mm, I was, and I did that this ancient experiment. thing. Yeah, hard to hard to imagine. Um, I, I was looking around on Max, uh, the other day and, um, the Evil Dead movies are on there, which means they have NC-17 movies on, uh, Max, which is a plus. 
I don't know what other NC-17 movies they have on there, but the first Evil Dead movie is NC-17 because there's a scene where a lady gets um, um, uh, I don't know the, the correct term anymore. She, she gets unfortunately sexually uh, um, intercoursed with uh, by a plant, a demonic plant. Mm. Yes, it's like a twist. oh, with vines. It's like hentai, but ah, yes. with vines. Nice, nice. And that's why it's NC seventeen. Even though you don't see anything, it's all implied. But I guess that's enough. The implication. The implication. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'll probably watch those movies. I've heard that the second one is better than the first one, and then Army of Darkness straight up isn't a horror movie. It's just. Sam Raimi weird schlocky comedy stuff and I mean come on that sounds great so who knows maybe I'll do that next week who knows or I'll see what else is coming out Elemental ew I saw that Joe Para is in that and now I'm kind of interested to <laughs> now <see>. I have <laughs> <laughs> like why Joe Para what are you doing in a Pixar movie? He plays a, a, a like a hippie plant guy. Of course is, he does. Which is uh, perfect casting. But I think I'm going to stop talking now and throw it on what? over to Babby now for music. As far as the night. I know, music. I know. What? Music. Um, there was a decent amount of stuff that happened this week. Um... Speaking of Spider-Verse, the soundtrack came out. Uh, Metro Boomin did it this time. Um, I have not listened to it. I've heard it's pretty mid. Um, I'll probably listen to it after I see the movie, just because that might help it a little bit. It's not as um, good as the first one. No, yeah. There's not a big hit or, like, I don't know. The, there hasn't been a song that's been like, oh, this is the memorable one or whatever. Um, but yeah. there is a song called Nas Morales, so that's that's kind of that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. So. I mean, there was one song in the credits that was pretty good, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you got the usual people on it. There's a lot of James Blake on here, which is kind of cool, but um, I'll, I'll come back to it maybe, but I'm not like, you know, waiting to hear it. Um, yeah. So that happened. Uh, we got some good podcast timing with another King Gizzard single today. What? Um their second single from Petro Draconic Apocalypse or Dawn of Eternal Night and Annihilation of Planet Earth. Yeah, uh, that one. Um, the, st- the song is just appropriately titled Dragon. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it is, that's what it is. Uh, this single is amazing. Um, I was kind of like, I, I like the first single, but I was kind of iffy on it just because like it kind of teetered the line between like kind of cheesy 80s power metal Um and like their usual subject matter, which is kind of fun, but not what I was looking for when you have this intense of an album name. Um, but with this one, it's a it's a nearly ten minute like thrasher. Um, it's great. It's it's still kind of fun, but like the mix is a lot heavier. It's a little bit more nasty. Like this is exactly what I want from this album. Um, the music video is really great. Uh, they have like some weird like 
dragon Godzilla robot thingy, like terrorizing a city, and he like moves in motion to like the guitar solo. It's kind of fun. Um, but this one's a lot more fun. I really enjoy this one. Um, I think the longer cuts are where they really kind of shine, just in King King Izzard in general, which is good because there's like this one's uh, ten minutes. There's also one that's gonna be nine and a half minutes, and one that's eight and a half minutes. So the shortest song is a. Uh, Gila Monster, which is four and a half minutes. So I am very excited for this thing now. Um, I was a little iffy on the first one, but I'm definitely in now. Um, so waiting for that one. That'll come out on June 16th, so pretty soon. <laughs> next Friday. Um, I don't think we'll do a reaction to it, probably, but I'll talk about it. And if it's good, maybe we'll do one eventually. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, there's other King Gizzard ones we want to hit, I think, on the channel first, so. And I don't know how much you'd be into power metal. Not. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> it might be like an entertaining first listen, but you probably would never go back to it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So that was really good. Uh, I'm glad that came out today and finally got timing on it because usually like these singles come out at a really bad time and then I have to wait a whole week to talk about them. Um, which, I mean, there's been a lot of weird music release dates because like, the Kendrick and Baby Keem song came out like last Monday and now it's on Spotify now so you can get it on streaming services yeah. which is great um, but yeah uh, the weird thing this week um, kind of the biggest thing to talk about is this Foo Fighters album which is strange <laughs> that I'm talking about a Foo Fighters album yeah um, yeah they released their new album but here we are um, I've the Foo Fighters was, like, my favorite band as a kid when I was, like, six or seven. Like, that was all I listened to for some reason. Um, they're, they have some pretty solid releases. Like, they're a pretty kind of solid band. Like, they have some hits and misses, but, like, they haven't had, like, a great, great album. They haven't had, like, that rock classic that usually, like, groups this big have. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've had a couple of good ones, but, like, I think Everlong was, like, the most highly rated Foo Fighters, like, material, which is true everlon's fantastic um but this new one here uh it's interesting because like this is their first album uh their drummer died last year i believe um and dave Grohl's mother also died uh pretty recently mm-hmm. um so this is definitely you can feel it on the album it feels very inspired um they're definitely dipping their toes into a whole bunch of different genres which i think is great i feel like these bands need to literally break out of this like formula that they do um because this kind of hard rock mainstream rock kind of stream is a uh, pretty one note and one dimensional. Um, and some of the songs on here are definitely that, like I, I'm not a big fan of some of them where they're just, Oh, yep. This is a Foo Fighters song. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just like, here it is. Um, but like the mixing is, there is weird mixing things too. I think this again is like mainstream rock rock. Like it reminded me of like the Imagine Dragons mixing sometimes where like it's just so over compressed and blown out that it's like, this is weird. Yeah. Um, especially the symbols on this record. I don't know what they were doing with the symbols, but like, man, they're so loud. <laughs> <laughs> like this is not need to be this loud. Um, but that's kind of minor. Um, Record starts off pretty strong. There's definitely a dip in the middle up until, like, the last four songs, I would say. Um, but the last four songs onward are absolutely incredible. I don't know how they pulled this off. Um, I think Show Me How is the one where his daughter is singing with him, and that's, like, really, really great. Um, Beyond Me was okay, but it kind of just bridges into, like, the next two. 
Um, and the next two, like the last two songs on this record are absolutely phenomenal. I think it's like the main reason why the score of this album is pretty high for a Foo Fighters record. Um, but yeah, the teacher, which is like 10 minutes and then rest, which is five and a half minutes. Um, and they play with shoegaze and post rock. Uh Um, I don't know why this is becoming a thing. I enjoy it. Lil Yachty used some shoegaze this year. Foo Fighters using some shoegaze this year. I'm going to have like Foo Fighters and Lil Yachty like on a list this year. It's kind of (laughs) crazy. Um, but the teacher is fantastic. Uh, does great momentum. Um, the writing on this record is fantastic. I don't know why Dave Grohl like tapped into like this insanely good writing style just for this record and has not like been incredibly consistent with it um, because he is just spitting on this thing. It's fantastic. Um, but they definitely play with like quiet and loud. Sometimes it's like too quiet and too loud, but I don't really mind it because it is such like an emotional powerhouse. It kind of fits. Um, but this kind of re- like repeated mantra type lyric style is great. It's kind of triumphant, but also incredibly sad knowing the context of it. Um, and it kind of, the teacher ends in like this gigantic noise buildup. Um, and then it just drops off. And then into rest. Rest is like the quietest song I've ever heard for the first two minutes. Um, it's like you get this huge noise buildup and then silence. And all you get is Dave's voice and like, a very quiet guitar for the first two minutes. Um, it's very heartbreaking. And then all of a sudden, like shoegaze guitars, everything just bursts through the window. And it's, it's so like lethargic. It's just the most therapeutic thing of the whole record. Um, I feel like shoegaze does that so well, or like if you need to exploit, like display intense emotion, um, you need a shoegaze guitar or some kind of thing like that because it works incredibly well here. Um, it's ethereal, so it's kind of like this reaching into the beyond um, of all the people he's lost, and like it's it's just amazing. Um, so I don't know where this came from. This came absolutely out of nowhere. I, I saw that they were coming up with a record, but I'm like, oh, it's a Foo Fighters record. I'm not going to listen to that. Um, but then all of a sudden people are like, oh, my God. So, I mean, anything can happen. Uh, <laughs> I keep forgetting that, you know, some of these artists are popular for a long time for a reason. Uh, it's just like it's weird to hear, like, some kind of magnum opus almost of a band that's, like, 20 years old. Um, <laughs> yeah. Usually it's not like that, but yeah, uh, especially after their 2021 record, which was like incredibly mediocre. So, um, yeah, biggest surprise of the week. It's really great. Um, I'm glad that they're kind of digging out of this mainstream sound and just kind of like, you know, you have to like, if you're doing a record that this, um, that's like this emotive, you have to play into it. Otherwise it's going to come across as like cheap and like, just not remember, like it's not very, it doesn't stick out in your discography, but they're playing with things. It worked pretty well for the most part. There are issues with it, but like, I mean, I can overlook those because the last two songs are so good. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the big thing this week. I was like, wow, um, that's kind of insane. But yeah, I guess I'll have a Foo Fighters song on my top songs list at the end of the year and a little Yachty song. So, and they're not going to be like down towards the fifty realm. They'll probably be up pretty high. <laughs> oh, okay. So. Yeah, but really fantastic. Um, I think Boldy James has a new EP coming out next Friday. Um, Boldy James has, like, I don't know how he releases so many things. He was in, like, a really bad car accident last year, too, and he's still releasing things at a crazy rate. 
Um, so I don't know how. And they're all consistently great, too. So uh, I'll give that a listen, probably. Um, but in terms of anything else coming out, we'll have King Gizzard uh, next Friday. We have Swans coming out the following Friday. So I'll probably have a long thing about that. Um, I think that Janelle Monet record comes out this Friday. I might give that a listen. Maybe. Um, that might be pretty decent. I feel like I need to start with their, like, classics before I go into the new album. But um, I might add, like, Arc Android to our to my list because I feel like that one would be really enjoyable. Um, kind of like that R&B and funk lane. So that might be fun. Um, but, yeah, that's, what, that's what's coming. Um, but that's, that's it. That's it for music. I think I've just been jamming this cocktail twins record. So watch our reaction to that. But I've been getting addicted to it much like heaven or Las Vegas. So it's very good. It's very good. Um, yeah, that's what we got. Um, I'm not going to have a segment for my, uh, what was it? What did I call it? You're not immune to propaganda. I think that's my show title. Um, I'm not going to have a segment for this week just because it's incredibly depressing and I don't want to do that right now. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) Chase had a very good comment last week. Um, shout out Chase. He comments all over the place on our, both of our channels. He does. Um, But he made a good point where it's like, uh, I, I wanted to focus very much on international things just because it's not very well known. Um, but he did point out that, that some people can tune that out. It's not going to affect everybody. And I'm like, you're right. Um, some people don't care about that stuff. It kind of brushes off to them. Um, and while people intake this information kind of subconsciously and does kind of form an opinion, um, it's not as direct as what I'll be talking about next week. So we're digging into neoliberal propaganda next week. How it affects our lives in every single aspect and, uh, I was very angry looking at the news and stuff for the past week. There's a lot of really bad things happening, um, and it keeps, like, piling up, and that definitely came out in my writing. So it's very ch- charged. It's very heated. Um, I have a lot of stuff in there, uh, a lot of depressing things. So I'm going to save that for next week. Um, oh, yes. I don't feel like going through that right now. Yeah, that, that's your little teaser, I guess. Um, but... Yeah, I'm going to kind of steer the show a little bit more um, first person for a while. I do love talking about international things because a lot of people don't know much about anything in the U.S. um, just because we are not taught really about how the rest of the world functions, um, which does kind of set up a complex for American exceptionalism. But we'll get to that in a later week, too. But yeah, I do want to kind of like stay within the U.S. lane now um, for a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about some media stuff. I feel like when we talk about uh, Succession, I'll have a lot to add because that show was really fantastic in season four. I'm um, going to try. Man, yeah. I have so much. <laughs> I Grant, know. <laughs> Grant was also messaging me. He's watching Barry right now. Oh, just, yeah. I need to watch Barry. He next. just finished the first season. He's like, have you seen this show? I'm like, yes, yeah. it's great. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, there's that. I think. Yes, yeah, so I do need to watch season four of that. What else? Like, uh, Black Mirror is coming out like oh, on the fifteenth. Yeah. Um, frick. There's like something else. Um, there's too much. There is a lot. How am I supposed yeah. to do anything? Exactly. Yeah. So, I'll have segments on that. So I'm gonna stay very U.S. focused. Uh, a lot of these things in the next couple of weeks are gonna be kind of intertwined with each other just because, like, they are kind of hyper-specific ideas that can be brought to the grand scheme of everything else I'm talking about. So it'll be kind of piecemealed that way. Um, But, yeah, next week expect a very heated and charged, uh, you know, 
breakdown of things. Yes, <laughs> so, dude. Yeah, but uh, not this week because I do not want to think about that right now. So there you have it. Nice. Nice. Well, that is... Uh, I am uh, tired. Easy I don't know up. why it's just hitting me right now. Um, but yeah, that was, I did not, <laughs> not yet. You drank the water. I drank, I did drink water. So oh, maybe that does it. Uh, water but yeah, green. next week we'll have a very interesting conversation about Spider-Verse and then, uh, a very heated breakdown of. I'm going to depress everybody. Yes, because Spider-Verse isn't going to do that. Nope. <laughs> I was writing it, and I'm like, wait a minute. I sound like a doomer, but I'm not. <laughs> Were you writing Father John Misty lyrics? Um, In a less complex, scatterbrained way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Except they have actual, like, you know, sources and yada, yada, yada. Yes, Father John Misty never cites his sources. Yeah, no, you I don't cite sources in songs. It'd be kind of weird. It would be kind of weird, but it would be funny. <laughs> that would be kind of fun, actually. Uh, I, I can will... imagine like a Kendrick ad lib and like him just like citing a random source. I feel like that'd be really funny, actually. This comes from Newsweek. I mean, he's already kind of crazy with it in the in the hillbillies. So I need to listen to it. It's really. I good. saw that it just got added. Um. Actually, I was thinking of a Father John Misty lyric this week because that, like, Apple, the Google the Glass thing. Glass Pro X2. <laughs> yeah, their VR that costs, like, $3,600 or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's the first line in the second song in Pure Comedy, Total Entertainment Forever, is, I think, betting Taylor Swift every night inside the Oculus Rift. I'm like, oh boy, we're getting Bang. ever closer. We're getting ever closer. <laughs> <laughs> Which even then, in, in 2017, it was already a thing, but like, yep. now you can do it in your bed. Let's go. For the low, low price of 16K? Your soul. Well, yeah. Or $3,500, whatever it's cheaper, I guess. Well, you have to take into account shipping and handling and tax. Yes. Mm-hmm. Imagine paying six percent on three thousand. And the planned obsolescence that they probably put into it, so the thing just oh, spontaneously yeah. combusts in a year and a half. Yeah, I think the best part about that is like when they announced the price and everybody groaned. Yes, that, saw, was, that was awesome. I saw someone tweet. Someone tweeted that it sounded like um, the the Wii Sports crowd whenever you like <laughs> miss a shot. <laughs> oh. We have fun here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy Time Podcast is known for having fun. So. Bye.